All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Day two of 2023. How's it going for you? Is it all working out exactly as you had expected? Come on, what, what'd you already screw up? It's day two. You've already made mistakes. What'd you do? What did you, you made promises. What'd you do wrong? How did it go wrong already? What, what went wrong in your head to change that amazing disposition you had at 12.01 on January 1st? Is it all an illusion? Is it just something we make up this calendar year, this time-passing business? I don't know. I didn't, uh, I didn't head into New Year's with uh, too much expectation. It, sort of, it didn't really sneak up, but it, this last week has been relatively uneventful. There's that strange time in between uh, Christmas and New Year's that it's just weird. It, it just, there's a, there's a quiet to it and there's a sort of, uh, some kind of weird pause and it, it can be kind of melancholy and a little uh, dark, I think, if you let it. I mean, I'm not surrounded by family. Uh, as you know, I was out there with my dad over Christmas, but I'm back and I'm hanging out and I'm getting stuff done around the house, and I'm wondering what the next year has in store, or what the the rest of my life has in store, more likely, and you know, and uh, just trying to to sort of move into it. I don't. It's weird to not have a plan uh, heading into the new year. I, I don't. It's it's been a long time since I haven't had a deadline, whether it be a special or a series of shows or what have you. But now I'm just doing this, talking to you talking to people, and I believe I'm kind of thinking about the new stuff. The new stuff is happening. I'm just going to throw myself up on stage as often as possible here in town to see what unfolds because I guess that's what I do, people. What do you do? You know what I mean? I mean, did you have that moment where it's like, uh, all right, well, there's some things I want to change about me for the new year or whenever you choose to do that, say that thing to you. Obviously, you're usually talking about things you think are negative, but there are some things that in terms of work or creativity where you're sort of like, well, this is, I'm going to do it this, this year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to write the screenplay. I'm going to make the music. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to write down these goals and I'm going to achieve them. This is how I'm going to do it. And then as a few days go by, maybe a week or so, you're like, wow, I'm not really doing anything any differently. But I think that's always been the way I work. If there's something in my mind that I really want to get done, a goal, it's usually weird and impulsive and a little bit small, like whether it's to you know learn a song or to fix a joke or to, uh, to, to kind of manifest some sort of uh, acting role, hopefully, or or if it's if it's a a, a passion based kind of creative endeavor, I'll put it in my head, but I don't change anything. And if it's real, and if it's something that you know is in my heart, eventually it kind of happens uh, without it being a stressful thing, without me doing a diary about it or or uh, putting it on my vision board or 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 whatever. It usually just if it's if it's if it's in the subtext of my brain as something I want to manifest or I want to do, 
uh, it usually comes to pass. It may not be as satisfying as I would have wanted it to be or or as as sort of uh, life changing, but it, it'll usually happen. And I don't do it a lot. I, I'm not I'm not talking about big dreams here. I'm not curing cancer. You know, I'm not selling out arenas, but these are just little things that I get in my head that I want to do. I'm barbecuing a chicken right now. I like that's a good example. I've never smoked a chicken. And I thought to myself a week or so ago, it maybe I should smoke a chicken. I had a relatively mediocre smoked chicken in Albuquerque. And I thought, well, you know, the flavor of the meat's good, but there's just something rubbery about the skin. And, you know, I have a smoker. Why not try to smoke one as opposed to just cook it? Slow smoke a chicken. So this is a great example of, uh, yeah, I put it in my head (laughs) that that, uh, smoking a chicken, yeah, but really smoking it, not just cooking it, is a goal that I wanted to do. I wanted to make that happen. And I just put it in the back of my mind. And sure enough, folks, as we speak right now, I'm recording this on January 1st, and my dreams of smoking a chicken are happening. They're happening right now. I've actually got to go take it off of the grill uh, and and come back in here and restart. Not the whole thing, but uh, I'll, well, this will be interesting. I'll, I'll pause it, though you won't hear it, unless Brendan chooses to put a musical interlude in here or something. And, uh, you know, and I'm going to go get that chicken off the grill. It's been on it. It's been on there for three hours or so. Okay, I pulled it off. It looks pretty good. I'm going to let it sit for a while. I'll let you know. But this is a good example. I put it in my brain, put it on the back burner, and then it happened. I guess that's the key to it is that if you don't pressure yourself too much about getting something you want to get done done and you just kind of put it in your head and then leave it there, don't talk about it, don't uh, work it through in your brain, just kind of realize that your heart's into it and eventually when the time is right, you will manifest it. This isn't some notebook shit. This isn't mystical. It's just about not putting too much pressure on yourself because then you'll you'll talk yourself out of it one way or the other, or you'll talk it over so much that it'll just dissipate. Sometimes it can sit in the back of your head for years. And I'm look, I'm no creativity coach or anything, but there's a few things that I look back on over the last year, over the last 10 years, that I kind of set goals for myself, but didn't work towards them in, in a step-by-step way. I just kind of like, man, I really want to do that, and I'll just stick it in the back of my head And then one day you're like, I'm doing it. Oh, my God, I'm doing it. So the chicken is a small example of that. But I did it. I smoked a chicken. It's sitting in the kitchen. I guess I didn't say this, but uh, Ben Foster is on the show today. Look, he's a great actor, a great actor. And I've been trying to get him on the show for years, not even for any real reason other than like, I'm like, this guy's a fucking he's the real deal, man. He is a great actor, and uh, I'm interested in what makes that guy tick. I mean, he, I, I think the first time I saw him was in Alpha Dog. He was in Hell or High Water. He was in 310 to Yuma, Kill Your Darlings. He played uh, William Burroughs, Lone Survivor. He was in Hostels. And uh, this past year, he was an Emmy nominee for his role in The Survivor on HBO, where he plays, uh, I think the guy's name's Harry Haft. 
a boxer who, who, who well, he had he was forced to box in Auschwitz, uh, and it, it was kind of mind blowing. And I didn't know anyone who had seen it, and I was like, this guy put this work in, like real work. Sorry, that was a mild Robert Duvall impression. Uh, and right now he's in the movie Emancipation on Apple TV Plus, which I just watched, and he's uh, horrendous. He plays a horrendous man, but he's brilliant at it. So we finally got him in here, and it was great. It was uh, great to meet him. It's my pleasure right now to uh, to share with you this conversation I had with Ben Foster, who I respect uh, tremendously as an actor. You can watch Emancipation. You can stream it on Apple TV+. Plus. The Survivor is on HBO Max. Um, and uh, I, was, I was a little nervous again, you know, heading into this because I was like, what, what's this going to, where am I going to go with this guy? Am I, are we going to do it? Is it going to happen? This is me and Ben Foster. But your grandfather did it? Yeah, my, my grandfather smoked 20, uh, 20 cigars a day. Do you remember him? I do, yeah. Oh, you knew him? Yeah, I did. Really? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Boston. Yeah? I was raised in Iowa. Really? All Iowa? No Boston time? Uh, left when we were four, but would go visit them, my grandparents. Oh, they were there? Uh-huh. What part? Well, they moved out to the Cape. Oh. Uh, uh, what town? Uh, uh, Hyannis. Oh, right in Hyannis. Yeah. So Irish? Uh, I'm a split, hmm. um, uh, Eastern European Jew and kind of Irish, uh, English mutt. On your mom's side, Eastern European Jew? Uh, father. Really? Mm-hmm. And he was from Dorchester? I wonder how they ended up there. Uh, That's heavy Irish business out there. It, it, it's, it didn't sound easy, <laughs> but it, 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 yeah. boy named Sue, you know? Yeah, I do know. So Iowa. And though. you, where, where are you from? My people are from Jersey. My Jews are from Jersey. Ah, my wife's from Jersey. Oh, yeah? What part? What town? <laughs> Wachung. Wachung. Not sure where that is. My dad was from Jersey City. My mom was from uh, Pompton Lakes. Morris, uh, I think it's more Bergen County. My, I can never get it right. But all the people come from Jersey. But I grew up in New Mexico. Love New Mexico. You do? I do. What'd you shoot there? Everything? 310 to Yuma, Hell or High Water, Lone Survivor. You shot Hell or High Water in New Mexico? Yeah. Outside Albuquerque? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. You stay at Los Poblanos? No, we stayed at this spot that apparently was a mental hospital for children that would have been converted into a hotel. Holy shit. Nothing but good vibes in that place. Oh, not not a ghost around. <laughs> Where the fuck is that? In Albuquerque? It's, it's right there in Albuquerque. Really? ABQ. Really? You don't remember the name of it? I, you know, I've gotten to this point uh, that I just... I don't like to call it forgetfulness. Right. I'm just choosing what to remember, and I, that's a data wipe. Yeah, that that the name of that place. Yeah, the children's mental hospital that I slept in right. for months. For to, months. Yeah. So it was a residential hotel. You had a kitchen and whatnot. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's that kind of. Thing. I don't think the kids did. No, I'm sure not. I'm sure they weren't allowed to have that stuff. <laughs> no, no flames. But that was so. That was shot there. They shoot so much shit there. I was almost gonna buy a place there, but then. I don't know. There's no water there either. And it's pretty, but I don't know. What am I looking for? You can't go home. What are we looking for? Uh, do you know? I'm asking you. Well, I thought it would be nice to live there because you grow up someplace. It's got, it's sort of this part of your psyche, I think. Sure. Do you find that with Iowa? I, find, I moved around so much. Uh, when you were a kid? Well, 
Boston originally, as we said, then Iowa for sure, small town. So yeah, where in Iowa? Fairfield, southeast corner, ten thousand people, TM community, transcendental meditation. Oh, so that oh, so that's one of is that one of the original ones? It is the original one. Oh, that's I thought that was in Idaho. It's Iowa, TM. The Nazis are in Idaho. TMs in Iowa. Different, different, (laughs) different group. (laughs) So your folks ran away from Boston. Uh, what I'd say is they, 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 well, our family, as lore goes, uh, uh-huh. we got, bro- the house got broken into with two, two, my brother and I were in the house. My father, uh, uh, was a TM teacher for years. Uh, and my mom was a receptionist in New York. They at the TM place? At the TM place. They were, they were in their early part of that. Um, early adapters. So they must have been like in the first wave, like with the Beatles. Uh, they were post-Beatles, uh, but um, they were early. They were very much early. He was actually a teacher huh. uh, and a lecturer on, on Transcendental Meditation. What's his name? Stephen. Foster? Uh-huh. He's still around? He is. Still doing that? Yeah, we're like lecturing though. Oh, not lecturing, no. But, but we we all, you know, I I'm not necessarily a group guy. Yeah, but I dig the technique. Yeah, my my uh, my old girlfriend who passed away was a uh, like she did it. I mean, she was in man like twice a day, twenty minutes, no matter what, no matter what, where she is. Like I got to go carve it out of the schedule. She was a film director, and like she'd go do it. Amazing. And this woman I'm with now, she started it because she's a David Lynch fan. Sure. But she didn't stick. Yeah, I don't think she sticks. She's doing some meditation now, but not uh, not the TM. But she went She went and uh, paid for her uh, secret sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, gotta, gotta buy the ticket, take the ride, man. <laughs> yeah. Got to get your secret sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I find it, I'm attracted to it. I didn't stick with it. I can't, why can't it be as addicting as cigars? Oh, wouldn't but, that be something? Right, but you grew up with it, so it's just what you do. Yeah, I, 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 I grew up only doing that, only knowing that, and then I left it behind and returned to it. And, oh, really? You know, just uh, twice a day, guy. Used to be used. Mm. To, I mean, when I was growing up, twice we did it in class. It was it was it was amazing. And as as a kid, as so a you student, went to a school. We that... were deep <laughs> in. But it's one of those things where you can't. I think it gets misunderstood as a cult. Well, w- w- what I'd say is uh, uh, any group of people doing a thing <laughs> that involves certain rituals yeah. that is not an established mm-hmm. uh, religion could be considered yeah. a cult. Okay. Uh, for myself, I'll just say not a group thing. I hope to. I, I try to avoid groupthink. Yeah. When intends. Yeah. But the technique itself of transcendental meditation, be it through the David Lynch Foundation, or through a TM Center, yeah. uh, uh, it's it, it's been invaluable to me, and one that I've returned to and, and yeah. found um, it it quiets the racket. Yeah, I could use that, but like, but I guess meditation is holding that moment. For... What's I was talking to my wife about this today. If you have a technique, yeah. whatever that is. It's meditation. About, we'll call it meditation. Fine. It, it can mean anything. Yeah. But, but it, it's not like, oh, I'm meditating so good right now. It's the return is the muscle. Right. Your mind drifts. You go somewhere else. Sure. And you're like, oh, yeah. return and, to center. Yeah, I get and, it. Yeah. And that's a good yeah. groove just to keep reinforcing. Right. Just to, you know, to stop it. 
You know, let it happen, let it pass, come back. Come I was doing that. I was doing pretty good at that. How great. Yeah, I know, but I didn't stick with it. Well, but you can anytime. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> you know, you know. Did you, now do you, uh, have you talked to David Lynch about it? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> I have. It must be fun talking to him about anything. It, it just being in his presence is just a thrill. <laughs> just a delight. Dude, he, you know, it was a long wait, but he made the Fablemans worth watching. I'm, I've I've heard I haven't seen yet, but I can't wait. Ford, he's doing Ford. He's right? doing Ford. Amazing, uh, old Ford, eye patch Ford. I mean, the, the one question when I heard that he did that, my yeah. question was: Was he chewing on a, a, a on a bandana? Because that was that's part of the lore of Ford is not only the eye patch, but when he would get anxious, yeah, he would gnaw on these handkerchiefs constantly. Really, and I was like, oh, he didn't make that choice. All right, no, he he. <laughs> He was lighting a cigar. Lynch was in, and in he lit the fuck out of it, and it was great. He he's a smoking uh, TMer. The two performances that are steam that make the movie is fucking Judd Hirsch. Yeah, yeah, man, and fucking Lynch. Like Judd Hirsch shows up as the wild uncle who gives him some life advice, a young Spielberg, just this crazy ex-carny uncle, this, this Russian Jew. Need more of this in life. Yeah, man. Give me David Lynch yeah. with an eye patch yeah. and Judd Hirsch as a carny. Sold. I just, I have two kids, so I'm I'm slow to the punch on films right now. Your brother's an actor too? Uh, he, he does a lot of things. He is an actor. He younger does, brother? Yeah. How much younger? Four years. I got two and a half between me and my brother. Yeah. Where does he live? Uh, Florida right now. Okay. Not happy about it. I'm sorry. He's all right. So how does this happen that two of you end up in the arts? I mean, obviously we have supportive parents. They seem like uh, open-minded folks. Certainly open-minded. It was pretty quick to fall in love with the dream. And the dream being uh, being in the dream. Mm-hmm. Right. The collective dream it, it, that's provided for people. That's provided. And, yeah. and seeing a school play and just saying, wow, I want to... I'm transported. I, I, want, I want to feel more of that. Do you remember I, the play? I do. What? Yeah, Midsummer's. Oh, really? Night's Dream, yeah. Shakespeare, even. Yeah, I mean, it was adaptation. Just yeah, for, what grade we talking? Eight years old. Oh, so Iowa, eight years old. Oh, but it was a grown-up production. No, it was a high school production. Oh, kids. Yeah, kids. And you were like, fuck yeah. I was like, that's it. Right there, Puck. Holy smokes. Yeah? And uh, yeah, went back. I, I, I became... Had a bit of the what you call a lowish grade OCD. Yeah, me too. Yeah, um, wasn't a, ter- a terrific student. You know, they tried to hold me back in kindergarten. I was just really wanted to make real, believe. Real disappointment. Oh my god, crushing, <laughs> crushing! <laughs> like finally, the kid's into something yeah. else. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And that's uh, so. It started in first grade. You're on your way. It just let me out of this room and these kids and the cruelty of it and the yeah. weirdness of it even though we're in a tm school i want to be a part of that feeling that i felt as an audience member you were in a tm school and there were still problems of course there are problems everywhere they're just kids kids Ki- are kids kids are kids but wait, tell me about this tm school like like now would did the rest of the town like think you were weirdos like you were amish 
uh, there were Amish nearby. Oh, well, so, uh, <laughs> so everybody was in the same state. Everybody was just looking at each other and being like, you're a weirdo, too. Yeah. It's just that we didn't share it. We didn't. Well, and also, you didn't have to dress up for yours. Yeah. This is. No, we did, actually. That's that's where it leans a little. Oh, yeah. Um, you call it privates or you call uh, it culty. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what was the outfit? Um, it, it, it it's not wild wild country. Uh, we weren't we weren't right. going that far. Yeah, like gray pants. Oh, button up shirt. Oh, really? But everyone warm. Yeah, everyone warm. Wow, I had no idea that TM ran that deep in places. Oh, yeah. Oh man, I mean, this is <laughs> what? Yeah, it's wild. Uh, yeah, they're golden domes. Oh yeah, yeah, golden domes. Where are those? Right next to the school where the men would go and the women would go to their golden dome at meditation time. Oh, so it is a cult. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying there are qualities in all you could call. Who's out. the main guy? Well, Maharishi. Uh, the Beatles guy. Beatles guy. He was a good guy. Did they find out anything shitty about him? Uh, I, I never heard anything shitty about him. That's good. Um, but the moment you start putting profit involved yeah. uh, is always a question. Right. However, you have to pay for people to teach the thing. Yeah. And a farmer is not giving away his food. Right. So if you're giving sure. some kind of nutrition to the world, uh, once he passed, yeah. uh, some of the organizational issues came up. We no longer kind of associated so much with that. Oh. Um, and and then David Lynch came in and was trying to make it more affordable and finding ways to give it away or at least yeah. share it. That's what I thought. Yeah. With with vets, with people who've been dealing with trauma. It's been highly it is highly effective yeah. treating anxiety, trauma. All right, so you start doing theater in, in high school? Probably when I was nine. Oh. Just, it was just a box mover would help. Yeah, yeah. Just Waiting for a line. Yeah. And uh, just excited to be around it. Yeah. And um, was doing pretty pretty poorly in 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 school. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was some learning issues there. Yeah. Um, you never looked into it? We, we, they did. My parents did. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, but uh, burned the results. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They didn't, didn't, didn't even tell you about yeah, it? Yeah. Like, I'm not, we're not giving you a, a label. Oh, good. Well, that was nice. They're they're amazing. Yeah, truly. I mean, uh, my my parents are. It's a good truth. Uh, it's a good tr- uh, a good uh, a thing to hide from you, I guess. It's like why why yeah. And what do they know? And not it, your parents, but whoever gave you the label. And by the way, that label may change once the n- new DSM comes out. Sure. So but you have no idea. No, I have. No. But you still can't do math. Is that the issue? Yeah, uh, m- m- math. I- I'm a spatial thinker. What does that mean? I just see things. I see. Uh-huh. Uh, but but once it gets into the oh uh, numbers yeah I'm yeah I'm no good at it no I did okay with geometry because that is yeah, your spe- pictures yeah I could dig on that yeah you did yeah, yeah. that was my big math year that was, was a good ge- year for you yeah geometry was it I, algebra no can do forget it and none of it just I had no idea but geometry I'm like oh we draw pictures yeah and we prove things <laughs> from the picture <laughs> perfect got it nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So no Jewishness in the house. Jewishness, yeah, I was bar mitzvah. Oh, so Jew. So it doesn't. It, it you can you can mix. You can mix the TM with the Jew. You you could definitely mix the the TM with anything. Yeah. 
uh, unlike certain uh, other uh, communities. Right. So that that takes it a little out of cult world. Yes, it, it, that that you can. Uh, I I went with fellow uh, classmates who were Jewish. Yeah. To a, a little temple in in Fairfield, Iowa. Uh, but we'd also you know we yeah. practice the 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 high ho- uh, holidays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet the and interesting Jewish grandparents who who came to the, the, our town. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, yeah. My my grandmother's from uh, Romania. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and. Uh, my grandfather's family comes from the Ukraine. Yeah, and, um, that's where my people are from. Ukraine? Yeah, uh, really? my mother's side. Yeah, yeah. Where we, we uh, located uh, uh, communist Bidolsk, mm. uh, small village. Which ultimately, long story short, the reason why I moved to New York after LA was I worked with a guy, uh, a wonderful writer director, uh, Oren Moverman, who I met and talked about you for like an hour. Is that right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Israeli. Uh, Israeli. I met him. We make a film called The Messenger. Mm. We finish the film. I'm supposed to head back to L.A. I've been there for tw- 12 years. We're going to have to backload all this information. Yeah. Yeah. A spatial thinker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It chronicles. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, we're, we're just having a chat. And he was like, yeah, my family's from uh, this little village, communist Podolsk. Wow. And we were like, I was like, you are family. I'm going to move to New York. Yeah, <laughs> uh, truly, it was that, that simple. Was it? That was it. Yeah, I moved because of Orrin. And you guys are best friends, right? He's he's my brother. Yeah, I, uh, brother. I met him. I was a general meeting, I think, and I, I think I, it was. I can't remember why, but I was running around meeting people, <laughs> as one does. Yeah, and uh, and we talked for a long time. I can't remember, but I I I know I had shared an idea with him because he said you guys were trying to do something similar, or along the lines. I, mean, you know, I had this idea for a, a TV show about social workers. That's right. Yes. And and he said, you guys were doing something. And that, of course, I left going like, fuck. So they're doing it. Uh, but, you know. Didn't happen. It didn't mind. We sold it, but they didn't make it. I see. What was it? What was your angle on the social work? Why were you interested? Well, just being deeply moved by, by, by a word that Oren and I talk often about is service. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. And being in... And, and feeling lost when you don't know what you're in service of. Mm. Right, sure. And, and uh, Well, that's, a, that's what gave meaning to Christianity originally, I believe, was the service part. One would hope we can return to these ideas no matter who. We can if you go to AA. Okay, well. <laughs> it's all service-oriented. Service is... It's a, it's a mixed bag in AA, but, you know, that's the whole premise of it. Show it for somebody else, listen to their story, you get out of your own garbage for a while. Love it. Yeah. So that was what it was appealing. Did you have an experience with a social worker? My, my father's uh, sister, yeah. Auntie Susan, uh-huh. amazing woman, yeah. was a social worker. Yeah. Uh, and she's just an extraordinary human being. Right. And now has started a wonderful foundation uh, for for uh, for cancer research and, and family healing called Conquer Cancer in, in Boston, Mass. And she, she and my Nana, um, we lost a lot of family members to uh, the disease yeah and uh, just decided family members needed more care support and uh, so yeah conquer cancer huh. uh, uh, and that's and she started in social work and now it's built this thing yeah and the foundation reaches out to people for counseling and process process or financial aid mm. or activities being yeah. like painting yeah if you're struggling or even the family members who are yeah. struggling um, with it yeah with it uh, and there's a wonderful 
It's called the Hope Garden. Ah. They started, and that's in Boston. You can buy a brick, yeah, or, or and and uh, and mention a loved one, someone yeah. who survived it, someone yeah. who didn't, yeah. and, and a place where you can meditate in your own way. Yeah, you know, it's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah, grief and death and the process of it terrible uh, and hard. Uh, not a lot of support around it. Not a lot of cultural conversation around it. The, I think the entire capitalist model is built on you know avoiding it entirely the reality of death in our culture it is it is mind-blowing how we don't confront it and integrate it into our uh, daily life as acceptance as yeah. exploration right uh, yeah they, it's it's rough how you feel about it which part the inevitability i think about it every day in have a good forever. way in in a way of contemplation uh, I mean, anybody who doesn't think about it, I, I, I mean. I, yeah, I think about, like, every night I'm like, is this it? <laughs> Am I gonna, well, yeah. I'm, I'm 59, you know, people. Yeah. What was it? What was it? Oh, there was, there was that, there, there's a, there's a spiritual uh, uh, belief of, of meditating on your own fatality. And, and by doing that four times a day, yeah. actually practicing that considering one's mortality yeah. is actually a healing process and enlivens life rather than it being a morbidity it's it's a way of releasing your fear right i mean i think i, I mean i tried i do think about it every day and you know and, and my my parents are still alive and they're they're both age my dad's you know drifting and you know they're in their 80s so but you start to think of a life and what it means. Like the the thought I have almost always after I'm, I'm laying in bed, going like, "Is this it? Like, if I'm gonna die, am I gonna die in my sleep?" Tonight, right? My second thought is always like, "I gotta get rid of some shit. I got too much shit." You mean just stuff and in, yeah. in, in like the house? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't find me with all this shit. <laughs> I just, it's a that's the saddest thing. I don't know how many people you've lost, but like, you know, when you lose somebody, you just you just you're there with their shit. And somebody has to make decisions about the shit. And a lot of the shit is just sort of like, I, I, I don't know, just give it away? Do we throw it away? What do we do? Because you hold on to shit. It's like, it's like the, another phase of the same type of meditation. The, the, the talismans, the, 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 the memories of it, the smells of it. The, sure, the, man. Or even just maintaining that space keeps some kind of right. lifeline. Well, you choose a couple of pieces of prime shit mm -hmm. and you keep it. Yeah. But do you have talismans? Do you have things that you oh, need? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And they cycle in and out. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, why did I give a shit about this thing? This has, <laughs> or, or it's, that has used up its purpose. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah. I need to get rid of this because yeah. it is, it's actually a vacuum rather than, oh, starts. I, I can feel energized by it or activated oh, by it. It's yeah. taking now. It's because, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a bad out. relationship. It's worn out. Yeah. I've worn out that stone. So, but you never got to, you never got it to script, or you never uh, the social work. We did no, uh, no, I didn't. No, wow. no, I, and I, as I know, Orin and I were 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 pitching the concept, mm. but but we didn't do the. Yeah, I, it's like it's such an unsung world, and it's so like it, it to, to us it was this, it was a portal into the entire structure of society here, because through social work 
You know, you get you get into state funding, you get into politics, you get into drug problems, you get into criminality, you get into the injustices of the legal system, you get into you know, the, everything. Family, family, Trauma. yeah, of course. So, when do you move to LA? How you're in, you're in Iowa? Uh, the the short version yeah. is uh, not a great student. Right. Started writing uh, short plays. Sketches or plays? Serious? Oh, it, it, com- comedic all the way. Yeah. All the way. I, I was obsessed. I, my, my dream was to be on SNL. Really? Uh, w- I wasn't allowed to watch violent movies, being in this TM community, but my yeah. parents showed me comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got a little bit older, they showed me, we get a VCR uh, copy of like the best of SNL. So, right. So sketch comedy was the goal. So were you funny? I... Uh, enough so where people started watching the plays yeah and they would laugh yeah so that felt good because like you know i i i'd like to see you in a comedy i don't know that i have they haven't really come my way yeah well i mean would you like to do that of course i'd much rather laugh (laughs) but you if you were offered a comedy like it seems like you could be like you you could be the uh the good cop and a good cop or the bad cop and a good cop bad cop funny thing write it Call me. <laughs> Nobody's. I'm, I'm waiting for that cop comedy. You need a comedy, man. Come on. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So I got loaded with. Uh, with just just started working on accents. I had and dialects and for and, the comedy. Uh, yeah, for the and, place? and impressions. Yeah. But it was all rich little based. Sure. Like I was really protected. It was not. My parents just kept me kind of out of time uh-huh there's martin and lewis really the, the marx brothers yeah looney tunes all the way yeah that was the world buster keaton charlie chaplin that's what i was allowed to watch so i put a tape out of me just doing silly stuff i think my dad filmed it yeah disney got a hold of it and they said would you audition and i was like what's that yeah because i'm a kid you, who sent it in uh, family favor was like, hey, two oh, kids. Oh, someone in L.A.? Someone in L.A. Uh-huh. Friend of the family from Boston. Right. Knows an agent. Yeah. Uh, would just meet these kids. Yeah. And uh, they You and did. your brother. Yeah, they did. And so the, you were doing the sketches with your brother? Not with my brother. Um, we did a couple school plays okay. together. Yeah. But mostly it was writing and then ended up winning an international award for this play that I did with uh, That you wrote? Uh-huh. Wrote and acted in. And what was the award? It was for best short play. For a kid? It was a program called Odyssey of the Mind. Okay, there you go. And um, yeah, you have all year. You got to work on it just with your classmates. Is that still around, that organization? I think it's changed names. I haven't kept Odyssey of the Mind. Yeah, great. It was really wonderful. It was something that you could creatively, uh, I could at least find um, some kind of confidence in. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's immediate. Yeah, you know, when you when you like, we're going up. It's time. It's time. Yeah, paint the sets. Yeah, yeah. Make the thing. Try that line. Do the. Yeah, what yeah. if we do? Great. It's so much fun. Yeah. So Disney sees you. Disney do your bits. They and they say, uh, "Would you read these words?" So I read the words. Like, did you read the words again on tape? So I did. And, and you were doing this on tape in Iowa. Or you went to L.A. Went to L.A. and then they f- they said, "Okay, you got a show." Wow. So you're on a Disney show at 14. Wow. So that's how it starts. And uh, after that. Ooh, 25 episodes. Yeah. You did a bunch. Yeah. That was Flash Forward. It was Flash Forward, Disney show. Comedy. I mean, children's 
two best friends growing up next to a door to each other. Girl so do you boy. consider yourself like one of the Disney kids? I don't. I don't. That's not how I associate. But we weren't a Mouseketeer. But I mean, no. we. But you were on a kid show. Okay. Were there other actors that we know that you know that you that came up through that? Um, there's because there's Disney kid. Like I think Goswing's a Disney kid, isn't he? I think he was on our show. <laughs> I think he might have. I might have guessed it on it. And that was it. I just I dropped out. Of high, I dropped out. I, I bought a proficiency test. I had kind of a me- mental breakdown at age fourteen. Um, How did that manifest? Manifested where I did four episodes of this Disney show. Yeah. Never been on a set before. Yeah. Knew nothing about it. Pam- yeah. Family's not involved. Get on set. And, and I'm in love with the thing. <laughs> yeah. We shoot four ep- uh, pilots yeah. for four episodes. Yeah. I returned to Iowa for a year. Yeah. And the, sp- the world just... Uh, you're 14. Yeah. I wouldn't put... 14 on anybody. Yeah. It's a tough age. Yeah, a lot of things are changing. Everything's changing. Brain's going crazy. Everything's just... Hormones. Hormones, chemicals, and uh, it went really dark. Really? And I'm back in this TM school, and it was very dark. And you'd seen... You'd been to the other side. I had... You'd been to Hollywood. Well, I'd been to Toronto. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah. not that's not nothing i love After, toronto toronto's a great great music scene great. i love toronto i love vancouver i love all of it yeah. i I'm, i've applied for permanent residency you have yes i wish you luck thank you yeah do you have it i don't mm. no you're good you're gonna hang out you're gonna fight the fascists here oh man i don't know <laughs> I, yeah, I like i'll, I'll wake my uh, i'll talk to my wife like what about portugal yeah <laughs> well that's what a lot of people are doing yeah. but I, I can't, I need it to be similar or I'll feel like an outsider. I, I don't want to just be hanging around with other expats in Portugal, you know, without knowing the language, you know. That's fair. Asking people where they're eating, you know. <laughs> what are you having? Yeah. <laughs> Gesture. Yeah. Uh, so after the mental breakdown, but were you hospitalized or? Um, not hospitalized. Yeah. But but um, enough to be, it was a. Uh, it was hairy, and uh, mm. now being a parent, you know, uh, just mental health is such a. Uh, uh, there's there, there's a lot more uh, resources now than there were, sure. and the and the conversation's a lot more open. Yeah, but through this, what we'll call a fourteen year old breakdown. Yeah. Um. Uh, when I returned to the show, and the show was picked up. Yeah. Something had snapped in me, and they wanted the Disney Ben they had before and the line as example would be like hey Becca let's go get some pizza yeah I was like people don't talk like that oh <laughs> you became a real actor uh, as the people don't talk like that. Yeah. just just no yeah so they hired an acting coach yeah and he was trying to get me to be more up or something perky perky yeah and it didn't work and we just talked about getting lost in a scene and what does that mean I had a taste of it doing a play. It was like, there was a moment where I got lost and I blacked out and that became the drug. Uh, I was like, I want that back. Right. I want that. Yeah. How do I get there? Was it on the Disney show? It was on a play in between that I did. Yeah. But that is always sort of like, I don't know if you're at that age, you know, that's the goal or that is the achievement of acting. Maybe you know. Were, were you like, I want to get lost in a character, or you knew that you liked acting, 
But did you know that that to do it purely would be to get lost, or did it happen coincidentally? Coincidentally. Yeah, wow. It was just doing a play in between. Yeah. It was a very dark play. I think it was called Juvie. Uh-huh. It was about kids with dealing with social workers. Just just a, a play play, not, uh-huh. not not for anyone. Yeah. And, um, and I checked out. And, but you were there. But I, something happened. I was there. Oh, wow. The scene took place and people responded very positively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that. whatever that liminal space was, whatever that in-between huh. space was, I got to find a way to get back. Yeah. So that I mean, was the, the first hit of Coke. Right. Or your right. first your first great yeah. sexual encounter. Yeah. Right. It's just, I, that addiction was immediate. Yeah. And how do I get back? Yeah, and well, so that means you had to put a, you had to put in place some sort of process. Yeah, it, like moving around in a dark house that isn't yours. You're just bumping into the furniture. So, so you go back to the Disney show, and were you able to like live with that? I mean, it sounds like you had quite a few more episodes to do. It was, it was. Uh, I think uh, it was great in terms of technically learning to be on set. To be on a set. Yeah. But the values started adjusting. But that's not a bad thing to have. It's great, ultimately. Yeah. So when do you start to to shift in to more focus around being able to do that? You know, get your buzz. There are brief moments. I mean, these are flashes, right? You're, yeah. You're chasing the zone. Yeah. Or or as a musician yourself, when you're just, you're in a lick. And, yeah. And it's just, it's moving through you. Yeah. It's a current. It's bigger than you. Sure. It's like, making yeah. room. Why do that? Like as a stand-up, you know, things happen, they come, and you stay in it, and it's kind of amazing. Because you don't know where it comes from, which is the exciting part about it. If you work improvisationally or you, you leave yourself open... Uh, you know, something will be delivered and you, you know, you can't force it or make it happen. But when it happens, you're like, okay. Well, how do you set yourself up? Because everyone's waiting for the muse or the moment or the zone and you're chasing it. But your process, when you're doing stand-up, is there a way that you try to uh, set yourself up well, for that? Yeah, because like, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't write jokes. I, I To me, that's like performing math. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> Right, you know what I mean? It's like A plus B equals this. Like, you know, I do polish over time, but the whole process begins improvisationally. Like, so, so what, how I make myself available, whether I'm totally conscious of it or not, but I've been doing it this way for a million years, for as long as I've been doing it, is you sort of put yourself, you corner yourself, and you have to get out. Yeah. And, you know, and you're in that moment. And for me, it's like, what's the beat? How am I going to, you know, like, I'm funny. So if I put myself, if I corner myself up there and I don't know where it's going to go, then I got to be funny and something will come. Yes. And then and then I hold on to those pieces and eventually they become a full piece. So I don't know where they're delivered from, but it's the best part of any show that I do are those moments of improvisation where I feel, you know, open enough to just let things happen. And, and that's when it happens. When you let go. Right. It doesn't happen for an hour, but sure. but sometimes it's just it can be just a line. I just shot an HBO special last week in New York, Town Hall. Right on. And there are thanks. And there are moments in there which there are in all my specials that never happened before and won't happen again. So, I know that. And like it's great that it happened in that context. I don't know if anyone will notice it, but there was one moment that like made a bit complete. It wasn't complete until the night of the special. I mean, it was strong enough, 
but I saw you know a beat happened, and I'm like, there, there where did is. that come from? You there know it is. Yeah. Same with acting. Well, it's amazing. It's it's the it's back yourself up, do as much homework, and be open to whatever happens. Right. And listen to it. Right. So it's similar, except mine is a life of comedy. Yours is a research and immersion in a role. You sure right. uh, you're immersed in your life, your perspective, right. your point of view, right? And you are, and you are. Yes, that's right. And and you're you're giving yourself the opportunity to discover a new door, a left, a right, yeah. a, a beat, a right. moment. That's it. It's not an hour. I mean, no. we're chasing seconds, minutes <laughs> at best. I know, I know, I know. But uh, that's the drug. Yeah. That's it. It's not nailing. It's never been nailing anything. Yeah. Anytime. And, and that and that was a great, that took time to learn was, I'm going to nail this or never works. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not a nailer. Me neither. <laughs> I, I do not nail. <laughs> but, you know, it's like with a performance, like, I don't know. I, I think it's minimizing to say somebody nailed something when you have an arc of a character or something transformative happens, you know? It would seem. I don't know. Like, I watched, um, like, I think the first time I saw you was in Alpha Dog, and I was like, who the fuck's that guy? That's crazy. <laughs> you know? And then, <laughs> it's a colorful guy. <laughs> yeah. But then you, you, I saw you, I, I mean, I don't know it's, uh, when it happened, but I, I, was at, I was at Sundance for some reason, I think, with Birbiglia's movie, and I saw Kill Your Darlings. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, and and like you know, I'm a big Burroughs guy, so like you know, anyone who's going to take on Burroughs, I'm like, no, I listen. And I was like, hey, he did all right. He did like you know, he did his homework. Sounded good. Sounded like Bill. It's kind of dry and weird. Uncle Bill. Yeah, and uh, you know, so then I was sort of like on board with the Ben Foster experience. <laughs> I always look forward to seeing you around. Well, well, well that's so nice. What'd you do for? What'd you? How, how deep did you get into Bill? Oh, went deep. Yeah, went deep on Bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I got in touch with, with James Grauerholtz, who runs the estate. Sure. And uh, he shared a lot. Yeah. He was very generous with me uh, to return to not trying to nail it, but but being prepared uh -huh. to get lost. Yeah. That's the game. I mean, I've slept at his house. I've slept in Burroughs' bedroom. In St. Louis or wherever? Yeah, so, uh, so we uh, we just... <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he, he, he casts a long shadow and, yeah. and a complicated yeah. history, particularly today. Uh, I don't know if people talk about him that much. I talked to Patti Smith about him. It was kind of funny because uh, he hit on Patti Smith in New York and really? thinking she was a guy. <laughs> oh, well... <laughs> And, but they became life lifelong friends after that. That's a good story. It's a great story. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I saw William Burroughs was when I was a freshman in college, and he, he appeared on Saturday Night Live, and I had no idea who he was. And he was just Nike ad. No, he, he did a bit. He did a bit. Yeah, he sat there at a desk on SNL. It must have been nineteen eighty-two. And he did Dr. Benway, man. You yes, know? yes, yes. Get me a new scalpel, nurse. This one's got no edge to it. Yeah. You know, so, and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Had no idea. And that kind of fucking blew my mind open. I got into the beats after that. It was the right time. It's a good, I mean, what a spiral. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about the the new movie because like, because I have questions about- The survivor or emancipation? Survivor. Like, I, I didn't know that story. And I guess it's a known story of Harry Haft. Um, right? I mean, 
I didn't know the story. You didn't know either. No. But I watch a movie, you know, and it's like one of those movies as a Jewish guy and as a guy that, you know, watches movies. And I've talked to Levinson. I've interviewed Levinson. And I didn't know the movie existed. And I'm like, how do, how do I not know that this movie's been out for a while? Hmm. Right? It's great. You're great in it. And you, you do the whole thing. I, I'm not going to say nailed it, but you put your work in. To the, it was not, <laughs> and I think my question was when I, when I you know, realized that the movie had been out for a while and that it was this, you know, kind of an amazing film about a, a flawed but amazing guy, you know, who survived. It's a heartbreaking movie in so many fucking ways. Heavy story about this boxer in Auschwitz. Was it Auschwitz or one of the other ones? Was it Auschwitz? It was Starlet Auschwitz. Yeah. Like when you do that, like when you lose the weight, you learn the dialect, you learn the language, you learn a life, um, is the work enough in, in the sense of like you want people to see it for sure you want yeah. people to see yeah. it and but do you walk away from something like that from that must have been what three or four years of your life I mean we shot it in 38 days but you had to put the weight back on, right? Well, we were st strategic in that in that when I took it on, yeah. And Barry called up and said, "Do you want to do this film?" Yeah. Uh, it covers three decades of a man's life, and extreme weight loss uh, is involved as well as weight gain. Yeah. Uh, they offered digital technology, and I said, "I can't. You got the wrong actor. I can't. I can't do that." Yeah. Just in, I. I my brain froze. Yeah. It was on a conference call and they said, well, we can digitally shrink you. We can digitally make you big. And I just said, wrong actor. Can't yeah. do it. Like I just said, no. Yeah. Give me the time. If we can make time, I don't know quite how it's going to work. Uh, let's do it analog. Yeah. It would be unfair to this material. I yeah. wouldn't be able to face myself. I, I don't know how to do this if I'm just walking around having lost 15 pounds. Yeah. We, we have to go far. Yeah. So we started in the camps. Yeah. So I had five months to drop the weight. Yeah. And lost 62 pounds. Got down to what? 120. 120. Oof. Three. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. And then we took five weeks off. And just, and that was for the ring. So I put on 50, just ate and worked out and slept and ate and worked So this is for like in Auschwitz, in the camps, you're fighting at the behest of a Nazi who was sort of giving you the ticket to live is to, you know, beat the shit out of other Jews in the ring. To the death. Yeah. Yes. And, and if they didn't die, they'd kill him. That's right. Yeah. And then you enter the world... Escape a death march. Yeah. Harry escaped a death march. Yeah. Found himself in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and his only trade was his hands. Mm -hmm. And uh, was what they call a tomato can boxer, really. He had a little bit of fame because of his story, his yeah. narrative, being yeah. the survivor of Auschwitz, yeah. where 73 lives passed through his hands, his yeah. fellow Jews, yeah. gladiatorially. Yeah. Uh, Oh, when he uh, kills his friend, it's horrendous. Did you meet his relative? I'm, I met his son who wrote the book, mm. uh, uh, but we were deep into the shoot. I didn't want to speak with him. Mm -hmm. I was intimidated. How do you say I'm a I'm player father? So I just listened to hours and hours of testimonies uh, of survivors. 
and watched hours and hours. The Shoah Foundation was worked with closely with us, so I wanted all those voices in me. That was my. I just I needed to just saturate in in the the stories, and you start hearing these continuities in survivors' stories. Like what? Hope that a loved one was still alive. And that's what you played in that. Uh, and that's and we we explored those ideas. Viktor Frankl talks about it in Man's Search for Meaning. It's, but it was interesting in that movie that I you know the thing that sticks with me is that you know you're holding on to this love yeah. this girl and you who you met when you were a teenager in Poland. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then like your whole life you don't see her and and then but you realize that you know when you do finally you know, the story is a story. I don't know, hope I'm not spoiling anything. You know, find out that she's actually still alive. That the the idea that that what was important was the hope, and that what was, you know, whether the love was whatever it was, it was so young and so short, but it was enough. It was enough. Dayenu, you know. Yeah, you know, and like that. That was what's amazing, and but and also that he held on to it, and the shame of not reconnecting for so long. The shame of that, the weight of the shame of that character. How did you live with that? Well, to return to the the idea of service. Yeah, my goal was to 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 make sure that Harry felt lived in, mm -hmm. and also uh, progressively Americanized. Yeah, as it goes from a, a young man. Yeah, in the camps, surviving the camps day in and day out yeah. in this most brutal way in America as a as a boxer and his whole point or, or his goal was trying to get his name in the paper so maybe the girl from Poland might be still alive the girl that kept his heart his energy his focus his ability to survive yeah um, might see it and they could reconnect and as much as he tried he didn't he couldn't find her he married someone else they yeah. had kids and once you've gone through a trauma or an impossible trauma a a, a prolonged I, I can't even i can't even it's it's even hard to contextualize with modern language i would agree the what dehumanization yeah that happened in the camps but the 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 the, the, the nachis there it is <laughs> of a survivor there are many and they somehow were able to compartmentalize that shit over however long it took. The mental fortitude or the spiritual fortitude, the ruthlessness or the devotion to the hope of being reunited, that was the continuity that I heard over and over again was the thing that kept me from, that got me up when you wanted to drop, when you had no, you had no muscle left on your body. Mm. You, you're physically depleted and in a work camp and if you can't work you're thrown into the oven or the cha gas chamber or mm. the fire pit mm. uh, getting that close to that material emotionally you, you know it, i just i i guess the the question i was trying to ask and framing it you know in a clumsy way was that like to me this is a movie that everybody should see and you should be you know sort of recognized for that for that that journey you took you know, and, I, and I'm sure you are, but what I want to know as a guy who acts occasionally is do you walk away from that work, you know, 
feeling satisfied. You know, like like I did the work and that's enough. Completing the film was one of the most profound experiences uh, because I was allowed the opportunity to consider the horrors of mankind and also finding the glimmer of hope that can get you through that. So just on a, a personal level, my life has been enriched mm -hmm. and there's, there's more gravity to this human experience. You hope people see the work. Of course you want yeah. people to say, hey, I, I really liked that. Yeah. But personally, I d I've, the words that I, when I speak to my wife about it, it's like, I'm clean. Yeah. I just feel clean. Yeah. Uh, the work speaks for itself. The story should be seen. Yeah. It should be talked about. Yeah. Uh, particularly now when, when, when my Lord, I mean, they're burning books and banning yeah. books again. And yeah. the, this fascist mentality is, 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 is trying to erase not only the Holocaust, but what we've done to the enslaved people of our country, yeah. the way that genocide repeats itself time and time again throughout the world. Yeah. You hope that a story can not be just a Trojan horse as homework but actually tenderize a heart. Like you, you may think today's the worst day of your life. And we all have those moments. Mm. You, you may say, I can't get out of bed today. I don't know why I'm going to work. I don't know who I'm with. I don't know who I am. Yeah. Take a beat. Just take a beat, take a breath, reflect not on the horrors of life, but that endurance is available to you. It's in there. It's in your DNA. Yeah. And it's worth fighting for. Yeah. For those seconds. That's it, man. And if you can't get there, you eat something. Take a nap. <laughs> drink some water. If you're lucky enough to have those at your disposal. Right. Yeah. Well, that, well, I guess, like, I thought it was great. I thought the performance was great. The story's great. And I loved the, the, the way that you managed a guy as he gets older, you know, carrying not only the trauma memories, but the memories of what he had to do to survive. Mm. And then ultimately not being able to, 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 to live with that, I think, you know, in terms of stopping fighting. So many survivors of, 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 and this can apply to soldiers. Sure. Don't want to talk about it. Right. Don't want to talk about it. It's too much. Try and compartmentalize. And you can. You can't put trauma away. You can, you can stuff it, but it's going to pop out somewhere else. And this is him in, in, uh, trying to fight uh, by forgetting yeah. And he can't. Yeah. Well, I thought I was very honest about that, about how, you know, his family life starts to kind of erode. And... We got to we gotta look at it. So now you turn around and do, well, I mean, there was some time between it, but this character in Emancipation is the opposite. Other side of the wire. Right. Now, going into that, or when you started to prepare for that, did you realize that? I mean, did you feel the weight of that? For sure, Mark. I mean, I, I, when I first read the script, I, went, I was like, wow, this is really, uh, it's a fast, it moved well. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted nothing to do with that movie. <laughs> like, I just, I just spent, we went to Auschwitz to prep The Survivor yeah. on HBO, yeah. as you can see. Uh, and Antoine Fuqua calls me up, he says, I want you to, essentially play a manhunter of slaves, the enslaved. Uh, 
and uh, I just didn't want to look at those things anymore. I didn't want to look at the atrocities of man. Yeah. And Antoine said, I want to lift the veil. And I was like, good luck. And I wish you all the best. I think it's wonderful you're doing this. We need this movie. But right now, I want nothing to do with it. And I stayed up all night. I'm like, why don't I want to do this? And you have your self-talk, right? Yeah. You talk to yourself. Right. You're like, how do you lift the veil of white hate? And uh, the reason for not wanting to do it was because I was afraid of it. And that's the reason to do it. Yeah. So we were able to have really extreme, open, nervy conversations about white racism and these groups that are popping up. And with who? Will and Antoine? With, with Antoine. It happened uh, very fast. It was, yeah. it was, I don't want to do the movie. Oh, uh, so that's what you started talking about. And then I was up all night and I just started spiraling yeah. as you do. And, yeah. and, uh, and as written, the script, the character was uh, a southerner, very flamboyant, Cajun, big mustache, a lot of hate, extra hate speech, mm. very colorful character on the yeah. page. And I called him up on the 4th of July yeah. and just said, uh, you want to lift the veil? Well, let's put him in the, in the Midwest. Let's take him out of the South. Yeah. And let's explore how a man learns to hate. He's like, I'm game. And let's go ask those questions. Yeah. So we just started sharing news articles. Look at George Floyd. Right. Look at the... And there was this line in a book that we shared called uh, Without Sanctuary about the lynchings in America. And you you take the the hanging man out of the foreground you see all these kids yeah. and white folks smiling just, people, sm smiling people yeah. uh, like they're at a county fair yeah and there was a line there was an essay in it in, yeah. in this book I, I forget who it was it was either it wasn't frederick Douglass, it wasn't james baldwin but it was a line that stuck which was relentless matter-of-factness of racial violence relentless matter-of-factness so let's let's get into that. Mm. Why do we keep seeing this? Let's let's explore that. Mm -hmm. And and we just wove those so then I could be in service. That was that was how I could click in. It's not about doing this colorful. Well, it was um, interesting cuz it, it seems like you tapered the character a little bit from somebody, you know, he was a thoughtful person. He wasn't a caricature. He didn't strike me as, you know, flamboyant in the way of a a, a sort of evil dandy. Right, the yeah. trope. Right. So if we're going to lift the veil, right? Take we've seen it. We've seen the uh -huh. racist Southerner. Well, not all Southerners are racist, and not all Northerners are civil rights activists. Right. Where my grandparents were, as Jews, when they came, sure they they, they saw a lot. My, my grandfather, my father, my nana yeah. marched with Martin Luther King. Yeah. A month after Selma in Boston. Yeah. Around, I, yeah, uh, he would pick at Woolworths. Well, that's what progressive Jews did. That's what we did. Yeah, and uh, that was another reason for not wanting to be a part of the film. And then I realized if we can invert it, put the words of James Baldwin, Frederick Douglass, and talk about white fear into the mouth of the man who's doing these things, we can we can get rid of the trope. Yeah, it was it was a, a, a kind of an interesting, you know, tight wire act because, you know, you didn't overplay that guy. It wasn't a caricature. You know, he was like a, a, a sort of like meditative, you know, kind of, you know, thoughtful uh, and and, you know, quiet force. It was interesting the way that was scripted that you, you your backstory 
you know, to how, you know, your, your heart was broken and the evil came in. We worked on that f for months. That one monologue? Yeah. Before it was, it was a lot of uh, sexual violence and, and uh, Bill, our writer, was game to collaborate. And the thesis was if you're, collectively, we, we, we all got on the same page. We were saying, okay, when you're born, are you a racist? Are you an anti-Semite? Are you born that way? And if you believe that a baby is not born that way, if you come in pure and you're taught that, yeah, how, how, yeah, let's let's look at that, and and that's and we just massaged that into the fabric of the character we see now into a, a man who learned to hate from his father and carries on that. But in such a specific way, because like you know that 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 story of a, of a man learning to hate from his father, like I mean that was depicted pretty fucking well in America History X. Very well, you know, with the backstory of you know that that scene with the kid and his father. You're right, and you could see that way. But this way was in your character in Emancipation was, was more insidious because there was a fundamental soul crushing heartbreak mm -hmm. there. Yes. You know, the kid's goodwill, the kid's primary caretaker. His friend. Yeah. I mean, it was so concise, you know, in the way that you handled it as, as an actor that you, you didn't, you know, you told the story, but you didn't explain the story. You, you just, you know, shifted from telling the story to, and that's the way it is. If we can talk about and ask the question of where does violence come from? Say, okay, why do people act out in violence? They're afraid. But seeing, I think Fassel sees the writing on the wall. The, the, the great question is, what if they return the favor on us? Can you imagine? Yeah. What have we done? And by taking responsibility for this in that mindset is we have to keep them down. Have to keep them down. So if we compose those questions within a film, a viewer might, it, it's cloaked, but it might provoke a conversation. That's the best thing you could hope for as a, a, an artist or a filmmaker. Or well, Especially with this stuff, because like even myself in, in some of the interviews I've done lately and some of the reading I've done lately is that I am painfully uh, you know, ignorant of black history in this country, modern black history. And, you know, in the arts and, and, and it's just and it's exactly what, you, you know, the current sort of entitled white culture is trying to censor. These books that they're banning are books about black history. Mm -hmm. These histories that they're trying to push aside are our responsibility in, as Americans yes. to this. And and then when I find myself really you know saying things like I had no idea even if it's about movies yeah I had Elvis Mitchell in here talking about right. movies right it's like I didn't know about these movies I always thought they were too campy but they're not they are expressions of a community that found a way to make them against all odds so in terms of provoking conversation I mean that's you know this, like when I watched Emancipation you, you know I didn't know what to expect you know because. You know, sadly, you know, as a as just a movie guy, it's like, you know, how is it going to be like Twelve Years a Slave? Is, is it going to be like Django? Like, I'm not, what, can I take it? Can I handle it? You mm. know? Uh, but you know, Will Smith can act the fuck out of things. Yes, he can. And 
you know, you guys both showed up with that thing, you know, with, you know, full hearts. And it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty incredible. I, I think Will's done his finest work in this. It's astounding. I didn't see Will Smith on set. I saw a man who was just deep in. It felt like, for lack of a better word, prayer. Everyone was in service of this. Walking on those plantations, we filmed on the plantations. That's a hanging tree that's still up where they hung human beings for the color of their skin. Uh-huh. It, it's in the ground. You feel it. When I went to Auschwitz to study and research for the survivor, you feel it. You go through those gates, you touch the rails where six million are brought in. Just like you feel that it felt very similar on the plantations Mm -hmm. in our own country. Mm -hmm. That scene is 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 one of the finer moments of bullets hitting. (laughs) (laughs) You played it well, he played it well, you know, and then you know where it came from. It was it was a satisfying moment. I'm glad it was satisfying. Yeah. I was sitting next to my mom in the premiere. Or right, you know, yeah. my mom and dad are there. Yeah. And the crowd uh, erupted in applause. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Mom, I'm glad to share that with you. But I mean, what, <laughs> how how did you guys, did you you and Will meet in, in terms of process? I mean, what was, did you guys just show up and, 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 and do it? I just showed up and did it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he came with his work, you came with your work, and that was that. We didn't say a word to each other till the last day, six months of shooting. Not a word. Not a word. And it wasn't planned, and it wasn't going in with some actory idea. Like, this is, I'm only, I'm not going to talk to Will Smith. Yeah. That's going to be, and you're allowed, you're allowed to do anything you want. Sure. Work. Yeah, cut. You have a, are you going to your trailer? You want to eat? Yeah. You sure. going to craft services? Yeah. Yeah. You want yeah. a smoothie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, should really try. Yeah, should yeah, try yeah. the quinoa. Yeah. No, no, I just I walked in on set. You feel it. An incredible set. Once again, working in a yeah. a, a, a work camp with enslaved. I know. I know. People that right away after watching that, the survivor. I'm like, here he is. He's back in a camp, man. Like, oh I mean, give me that cop buddy. Yeah, let's comedy. go. It's time for the comedy, pal. Maybe we should do one. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so let's I'm talk ready. to Oren. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's go. I, I, Oren has got one of the greatest sense of humors. I mean, he's he's yeah, and one of the finest writers working today. Oren Moverman, I just he's yeah. I'm ready for a comedy. You definitely need a comedy. I use one. Yeah, yeah. you could use one. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was great talking to you, pal. Likewise. When's your when's your uh, when's your show out? The special. The I special. Think, I, I, um, I think we're hoping for spring, maybe February. I just looked at a. a director's cut and feel good yeah i do i do uh you know i talk a lot about grief in it and i talk about uh like i did a joke i do an auschwitz joke in it believe it or not yes well no i talk about like the idea of of humor coming from profound darkness like for me it's necessary because it disarms it and it frames it in a way that i can handle and i say there must have been some hilarious people in auschwitz and people are like, what? They're shocked. I'm like, come on. They were all Jews. You can tell me there wasn't one guy that's sort of like, you're going to watch Murray tonight? He does all the Nazis. It's hilarious. <laughs> He's the best. You got to. But, but there was. There was. Of course there was. You read that Primo Levi book. 
I mean, it's all just shy of like, you know, someone doing shtick. I mean, it was just, you know, there was a million different ways that these guys tried to see. Did you read that in preparation? I did. It's kind of astounding. It, it, it And it's in the Survivor. Yeah. We have the, there's the, the hat joke. Right. Oh, well, that, I used to tell that joke. Not on stage. It's one of my favorite jokes. It's one of my favorite jokes. It's a great Jewish joke. It's the best. And we need to laugh. Uh, and and we have to laugh in darkness. Yes. And the funny thing is most jokes of a certain type and a certain era for probably five decades, they're, they're, all the jokes are Jewish jokes. <laughs> they're all Jewish jokes. This is how we made it in this country. Writing fucking jokes. Got to make it somehow. Let's go have a cigar or Let's something. Let's go have a cigar. Good talking to you. Likewise. Ben Foster, lovely guy. Uh, the Survivor is on HBO Max and Emancipation is on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, I enjoyed that. Hang out for a minute, people. Three years ago tomorrow, January 3rd, 2020, I talked with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio for an hour at the Arclight Theater in Los Angeles. That's not even open anymore. God, it's been three years. Jesus. Listen to this. We're with the great How Mark the Marin. How are we going to... You're so nice about me. Dude, I'm a fan. I he, really, he really is. I'm a I remember fan. him talking about you on, on, on the movie. You were going yeah. off about, oh, about my show. I, I love this show. I've seen it three times. The three entire times. series. The entire. My, it's my happy place. It is. To see you miserable oh, makes fuck. me makes me not feel yeah. so bad. That's what it's all about. I'm it carrying really the burden for others. You really are. Yeah. And I love. But I just love how you. I think I told you this when I bumped into you. How you you'll like suffer some minor injustice in the world. Yeah. From another. Yeah. Have it out with them. Yeah. You suffer no fools. Yeah. And then you invite them back to listen to your to your new turntable or something. Like, we're, we're equal now. We're all humans yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think that's a, an attempt. I don't know if you have that problem where I'll act like an asshole. And then, uh, and then you kind of claw your way back into someone's life and hopefully they'll forgive you for it. See, I thought you were justified. <laughs> you did. Uh, yes. Yes, I did. I did. I, th- I thought you were speaking for all of us. And then, you're, and then everything's okay. Yeah. Everything's okay, usually, until it comes back later. Point is, that's a fun episode. One of the last big ones we did before COVID hit. It was a different time, people. Go enjoy that for free in all podcast feeds if you've never heard it. It's episode 1086. And if you want all episodes of WTF ad-free, go sign up for WTF+. Plus. Just click on the link in the episode description or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. On Thursday's show, I talked to Colin Hanks. And in memory of the great Bo Diddley, whose birthday it was last week, uh, I will play guitar for you now. Rest in peace, Bo Diddley. Rest in that groove you gave us.